0: Congregation this afternoon will deal with Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44, and that'll be on page 553 of the Book of Praise. And there the church has confessed the Word of God as follows. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience, Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live, not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ second so that while praying to god for the grace of the holy spirit we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after god's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection so far our confession brothers and sisters in the lord and that includes you too boys and girls a trail with a root sticking out somewhere along the trail like so many places along the Bruce trail in this area there there are people who walk that trail and stumble over that root they get up catch their toe in it again and stumble again and they get tired of falling and can hardly get up in the eventually anymore there are others who just mosey along and don't see that root sticking out on the trail, but they miss it completely. And there are people who get upset with that root and they kick against it and wish it wasn't there, and they pull at it and try to remove it and get rid of it. There are also people who are happy with it. It belongs there, it's part of the trail, and they love it. Brothers and sisters, this is metaphorical for the law of God. That's that root on our trail. He gave it to his people, and it sits right there in the middle of your path in life. And in the past weeks, we've listened to an explanation of each one of God's commandments applied to our personal and practical walk of life. And now that law, we could say, sits there in the middle of your path of life, and what do you do with that? What are you going to do with it? What role does God's law play in your life? And you can respond to that question in various ways. People deal with the law of God in different ways. Some are not very positive about the law because it's depressingly impossible to keep, they say. Others see it as a frustrating ideal, way beyond us. Others see it as a clear guide that stimulates them to walk uprightly. Different ideas, you can have different ideas about God's law. But now you need to look at yourself and, and think, consider what, what you think of the law. What your re- response is to the law of God on your path. And actually, if I think about it, that's not even the point, though, the ultimate point. We have to turn the, kind of turn the question around. What is God's purpose with the law in your life? What does he want to achieve in you by confronting you with the preaching of the law? If you know that, then you have something to measure your own feeling and attitude towards the law too. So that is the ultimate question. What does the Lord God want to do with the law in you? And he has a very positive purpose with the law. And you realize that when you sing Psalm 119, which expresses delight and longing for God's commandments. The law has a positive role in the life of God's people. Not only in the old covenant, just as much in the new covenant, in Christ. So we need to give God's law an honored place in our lives and in the church. Hearing the law every Sunday, preaching on the law. For preaching the law is also preaching the gospel when it comes down to it, the good news. And that brings us to the theme for the sermon this afternoon. The law serves the gospel. The law serves the gospel, and we see three things. The law helps us to fight. Secondly, the law helps us to grow. And thirdly, the law helps us to pray. First of all, the law helps us to fight. Congregation, I read a story once about uh, what happened at a concentration camp during the Second World War. The camp had too many prisoners. There was absolutely no room for, for any prisoners anymore, and it was decided... By the Nazis, they would send 300 people to Auschwitz, the death camp, just to get rid of those people. But the commandant realized if he was going to tell the prisoners the truth of where they were going to be sent, he wouldn't get anyone to volunteer. He wanted volunteers, so he wouldn't get anybody to volunteer to be transported to Auschwitz. So he asked for 300 volunteers to be transported to a better camp where he promised there was more food and easier work. Now, the, the people, the men in that camp had reason to be suspicious about the, the promise of better conditions from the Nazis, but they even clung to the, the tiniest bit of hope. So they started lining up and uh, as volunteers, But suddenly a prisoner who who worked in the office shouted, he had shouted out that it wasn't true at all what the commandant was saying because he had overheard where the train was really going and they were all going to die and that whole lineup of men panicked and tried to run for the gates. But the thing is, they would have willingly gone to their deaths if they had not been warned. The warning is the thing there. The shout of that man brought them to their senses. And they realized that that little wee tiny bit of hope was not hope at all. God's law is like that warning shout of that one prisoner who knew. It, God's law is a, mess, is a message that shakes everybody to their senses. It pierces the dullness of self-satisfaction and unmasks the lie that we all want to believe in ourselves, that we're good people. The law, you see, tells the truth about each one of us. It tells the truth about the difference between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness before God. God's law is like a mirror and it shows us the truth about ourselves. It unmasks us as sinners. And when it shows us that, it shocks us. But it's a healthy shock to be confronted with that reality because it wakes us out of the sleep which leads to death. It's the kind of shock that causes a soldier to wake up and see the enemy approaching and take up his weapons to fight for his life and his king again. the preaching of the law is like that it it shakes you, wakes you so that you see reality again if the sharpness of the law isn't preached anymore we would lose sight of our real misery and we wouldn't realize the awful danger we're in of ourselves we're we're told often enough in the church that we're all sinners but if that could just remain a generality for us too. And, and the confession that we're all sinners is not going to wake us up by itself. Then we just concede that we're weak and fall short and we shrug our shoulders at, at situations or relationships that aren't right. We just accept our errors and weaknesses and, and then we don't fight against them anymore. Our lives lose the tension there in, in, our, in, in wanting to live for God. You don't fight anymore and eventually you don't see your sin anymore at all. Everything becomes superficial and the next step is that you become self-satisfied. Hey, I'm not completely perfect, but I'm not doing too badly compared to him, her, other people. I feel like I'm doing pretty good. With myself, and the result of that kind of an attitude is that you're not going to need Christ anymore. You won't need Christ very much, and and the joy in Christ will disappear out of your life too. The, your joy in Christ and prayer will lose its depth and warmth, and then your desire to grow in holiness in Christ will die away. What's the motivation? You made God in your image. You made Him fit what you want Him to be for your own self. And then you die spiritually, even while you're physically still alive. Well, brothers and sisters, that is why we need the sharp preaching of the law, why we need to be confronted with the mirror of God's commandments. Why does God have the command, the Ten Commandments, preached so strictly? Well, because we have to be shaken. We need to be woken up. We need to be shocked by our own sins and sinfulness so that we take up the fight against the devil in our sinful nature again. The hearing of the law, as we could say, a call to the front lines, a call to arms. That's how sharp the law actually is and the preaching of the law needs to be. A call to wake us up. You see that in the explanation of the tenth, tenth commandment too you shall not covet now covet, coveting is something that doesn't show in actions actually it's like you know keeping the sabbath day or murder or stealing it shows but coveting is hidden something you only do in your heart Anonymously. You, you see in his law, God also tells us he wants control over our hearts and our thoughts and our deepest desires. So God reaches deep into your existence. And he does so with the law, and that's disconcerting, especially with this 10th commandment. It's disconcerting, for we know how full each one of us is with egotistical thoughts and aggressive feelings, angry feelings, envious inclinations, wrong desires. We, we, each of us knows what lives in here in our own hearts. We know it's there. And the advertising world of today knows that too, those thoughts and desires, and it stimulates them so we're attracted to certain products or places or, or things like that. Well, the Lord God lays his hand on that vessel full of unrest and contradiction in here, that, that vessel of impurity and envy, in, which is our inner being, And then he he holds up the mirror of the impurity and the the Tenth Commandment, and he says to us, I want you to hate all sin and love all righteousness. I want you to, to hate all sin in your heart. Love all righteousness only. And that's extremely confrontational, isn't it? Because what's left inside here when God lets the light of his law, and in particular that last commandment you shall not covet, when he lets that shine in all the deep corners of your heart, what is left? Nothing left of you, actually. Nothing. See, God's law is so sharp. And the preaching of his law is so revealing. Thinking about and discussing law, God's law is so confrontational at least if you do it seriously and honestly, because then it will shock you. But again, that's a healthy shock. It's a shock that wakes you up. It's a shock that puts you to work. It's like a goad. You know, they had ox goads to keep the oxen going. It's like a goad which makes you jump up and join the battle again. You see again what's what's wrong and what's good. You discover again that everything isn't gray, but there's also black and white. You realize again how big the gap is between what God requires and the reality in your heart and in your life. And you get involved again in that war between the the good you desire and the evil that you do. The struggle which was so fruitful for the Apostle Paul as he relates that in Romans 7 since by it he was brought to Christ the fight against sin congregation is a fight for your life fight through the spirit to become what you already are in Christ holy and righteous before God that's a fight for your life see the law serves the gospel when the preaching of the law goes downhill, then your life is not going to get to where the Lord wants it to be. And it'll be like, you know, you're trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean on a surfboard. You won't get there. You won't get where you need to go without being called to that fight of faith every time to take that stand in your life. Our second point is that the law helps us to grow. Imagine a painter uh, painting a portrait of a person, and then uh, he paints on his easel, and he, he keeps looking at the person he's painting, studies carefully how that person looks and sits and so on. He he changes something to make a better image, to catch the mood. Adds a bit, you know, a shade there and a bit more color there. The painting looks more and more like the person being painted. And every time he he looks at that person again as he's painting it, he looks around his easel. If the painter didn't keep looking at his subject, he would have to paint from memory and it wouldn't look as much like the person at all. But he keeps looking at his subject and correcting himself to come to a a good painting of his his subject. Keep looking and keep correcting in order to reach the goal, the picture. That's also the function of the law of God. The law presents the perfect man, the man in God's image, man as God wants him or her to live that doesn't mean that everybody looks the same there's still a lot of variety but the law portrays the perfect person living in perfect love for God and the neighbor the law in fact characterizes we could say it pictures Jesus Christ if we and if we look at that law every time again then we can become more and more like Christ, shaped in God's image, more and more perfect, in other words. So the law does more than just shock us awake so that we see our sins and take up the fight against them again. The law is also a means by which the Lord works at our growth in holiness in our walk and talk. For the law points out for us the direction we need to grow here, You need change here. This has to be adjusted here. Watch out here. God's commandments are the standard for life, real, full life. His decrees map out the way for us to become more holy. By means of the law, then, the Spirit of God works at our sanctification, our growth in the renewal of our lives. It keeps a Christian active in life, seeking to live out of the Spirit. So you need to keep looking at the profile. Keep considering what the image of God looks like. And then you keep the goal of your life here in focus as you're, you're laying that out here. For we live in the, in the time between Christ's victory on the cross and his return to bring the perfect peace of God's kingdom, to use the... The World War II terminology, we live in the time between D-Day and V-Day. After the D-Day invasion 70 years ago, there was a lot of fighting to do before it came to the full peace of V-Day. Well, we live in that time between Jesus' cross and the final peace of God's kingdom. And the devil and the powers of darkness are very, very active today yet. Because they know their time is limited. They're desperate. And people who of themselves are weak and still have to deal with the attacks of the evil one need to learn every time again how to live holy lives, how to live in love, how to make ready for the total victory over the devil and sin which is on the way. They need to see the end. Know what that, that whole picture is like. And that's why God has given us His law. It teaches us how to begin to live as free and perfect people again, how to make ourselves ready for the glorious peace of God that's on the way. And that's how there can continue to be progress in your life. That's how every Christian can continue to develop. And you don't get stuck in bad habits. You keep growing. And the law keeps that growth growing. We fail and we fall, but every time again we return to that kingdom way of life again. We look at the law and we realize, oh, this is what needs to be fixed in the picture here. And it's a process, it's a long process. People damaged and stunted by sin like we are don't easily grow toward perfection, toward the goal of perfection. The law outlines God's will for us, the ideal for every Christian to become. It keeps the desire for perfection alive in us. It motivates us to grow toward that perfection. Oh, we have a long way to go to be perf- in order to be perfect. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Lord's Day 44 talks about small beginning of new obedience. Just a small beginning a perfection of what God wants to make of us in Christ. And that, that's just a, that, that it's just a small beginning that shouldn't discourage us either so that we think, well, no use anyway. We'll never achieve what God wants from us anyway. No, that's not why it's mentioned that way. No, the fact that Lord's Day 44 speaks from the Bible about a small beginning is a very positive thing. At least we can make that beginning here and now already. We can make a beginning of living according to God's will here. We can make a beginning of a new life on this earth now already. It's possible for a small beginning, if it's there, can and will grow little by little into something more. You know, it's like a small leaf coming above the ground in the garden in the spring. That leaf... It's good news. Just small, but it's good news. It has the potential to grow into a beautiful, full plant. Congregation, we have to find our way here on earth as people of God and Christ at this time, between D-Day and V-Day, and it's a, it's a learning process, a growing process, and the law of God spurs us to follow in the way of the Spirit every time again. Every time we look into it. on that way, without with f- much falling and getting up again, we can listen to the law of God, and that law encourages us to grow in holiness, not to blind obedience then either, but heartfelt obedience. You love that law because it's the law of your God and Father in Christ. This is what He wants to make of you. That's the goal of the Spirit that you ultimately reach perfection. And you want that. And yes, it's a process, and it's not an easy process. We remain far from perfection here. We're not going to get rid of our sinful nature in this life. But we can grow. We can grow in knowledge, in motivation, in living a new life. And so we see that the law serves the gospel here again. Because then it keeps your life moving in the direction of perfection you're not stuck and you shouldn't get stuck there's hope and a glorious future for christians in christ and you're moving toward that future through the preaching of the law it's an instrument of the spirit to keep you growing toward perfection we come to the third part of the sermon the law helps us also to pray We asked before, how do you respond to God's law? And then we turned the question around. Remember, what place does God give to his law in his relationship with us? Why does he want us to keep hearing his law? Well, we saw the law as a mirror that shocks us with what we're like in ourselves so that we keep fighting against our sins and weaknesses. And we've seen that the law motivates us to grow toward the perfection Christ has obtained for us. But if you think you need to do all that by yourself, that that fighting and that growing, then the law is a dead end for you. And that's always a danger, isn't it? That we think we need to do do our best as God wants us so that we can earn his love. That's a fundamentally wrong order of things. First do what God wants, then he'll love you and help you. No, God loved you first in Christ. And living according to His will is a matter of, of then living out of Christ. And it's a matter then of Him and me together. He holds me up. I take steps. I fall. He lifts me up. I go in the wrong direction. He steers my feet back on the good way. I make every effort. He gives me the strength. He and I together. And you see that in prayer. That's why prayer. God's law teaches you to pray and the need for prayer. The law lights the candle of prayer in your heart, someone has written. The law lights the candle of prayer in your heart. The law, in other words, leads to prayer. And that's wonderful how Lord's Day 44, you notice, steps over from the explanation of God's law to the beginning of the explanation of the Lord's prayer thinking about God's law and its purpose naturally will lead you to prayer actually the law lights two candles of prayer in us according to Lord's Day 44 the first candle is the desire to seek Christ your savior to seek the forgiveness of sins and being made right with God that can only come through him the law pushes us constantly to Christ like the waves of the sea push everything that floats on them toward the shore. Restlessly, ceaselessly, the commandments bring us to Jesus Christ. For you realize I fall far short of living a life according to God's will. I have to confess I again and again have been defeated in the battle against sin. Christ forgives sins, I need to go to him every day again. Christ has paid for all my sins on the cross and has promised that forgiveness to me. He continually shares that forgiveness with all who flee to him, all who confess him as their only Savior. And then he shares his righteousness, the wonderful gift by which God declares us righteous before him in Christ. And so the law of God brings us to reach out for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for Christ Himself. And the more you listen to the law of God, then the more you long to go to Jesus Christ and seek your forgiveness and righteousness in Him. You see, then, that the law, if listened to rightly, isn't going to make you depressed because you just can't do it all right. No, the law will push you to Jesus Christ to whom you belong. And the more you listen to that law, the more you realize what a blessing it is that you have been grafted into Christ and that you received His promises at the front of the church in your baptism. And then the more intense your prayers become, faith becomes deeper and deeper and Christ gets more and more room in your life. It's Him. It's Him I need. That's the first candle of prayer lit by the law of God. And the second candle that the law lights is the constant prayer for the Holy Spirit. The law doesn't make us into activists, you know, hard and fast legalists who think they can become holy in their own strength. No, we realize more and more we can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to bring us further. The Spirit who incites and encourages us on in our service of God and who guides us. He gives us joy and energy to live as God's people. He makes us humble and obedient and gives insight into God's will. The Spirit is ultimately the one who writes the law of God on our hearts. As Paul says, and the Spirit makes obeying God's commandments a delight for us more and more, as it says in Psalm 119. The Spirit is the one who pushes us, leads us, urges us on towards perfection. That perfection that won't come in this life but has been promised to us in the Spirit. The Spirit promised... At our baptism to present us among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal, in perfection, without blemish. And He works towards that. He's the one that can do that. As long as we seek Him to work that in us, then too, as long as we ourselves work and pray for the Spirit's help in going in that direction, that's the only condition keep asking for him and so the law brings people to pray for the work of the spirit in their hearts and their lives and the spirit hears that prayer and takes it on himself to lead our lives to the ultimate goal to be with christ and all his elect in his perfect kingdom of peace so you see congregation the law of god occupies a central place in our covenant relationship the covenant relationship that God has established with us. It wakes us up to our real condition. And at the same time, it gives us direction to grow and the incentive to grow. It waters for growth. And finally, it also brings us to Christ and works in us the hope we have in Christ that we will be perfect like him one day. So give the law a good place in your hearts and lives congregation let the law help you keep fighting keep growing and keep praying let it keep you on your knees then the place the lord went to prepare for you in his father's house will truly be an eternal home for you where you feel at home amen Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for showing us, especially in the last commandment and what we confess about that, how much we need your law, how your law serves the gospel of our Savior. Let that cause us to love your law, to delight in your law, and to work at applying your law to our lives and never giving up on that, even though we know we're not going to be perfect. Let your law help us always to be awake and to fight against our sins. Let it help us to grow in holiness before you, and let it help us to seek your grace in Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit to help us, lead us. Let your law bring us to Christ every day, and in his name we pray. Amen. The closing song for the worship service this afternoon, the song in response to the proclamation, I'm sorry, is Psalm 24, stanzas 2 and 3. Psalm 24, 2 and 3.